Open up your Bibles. And this is on the SUM page, right, Joe B? Okay. Good. We're going to make sure that it's coming through here. Thank you for your patience. Tell me when she's up and running. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Derry will be coming at some point, so if he comes early, somebody might have to let him in. Okay. Okay, microphone checker. I can hear myself very well. All right, so share it with your friends if you care. Share if you care. Let everybody know we do in chapel. Okay, we're going to be talking today from John chapter 1, um, the eternal logos, the eternal logos. We want to look at John chapter 1, verse 1 in relation to the passage here. We're going to continue on with our discussion of the cults and how they uh, misuse and abuse this passage. So let's go to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Thank you. This is a powerful passage. We believe that this passage is teaching us the Trinity. Right here we see the two persons of the Trinity. There are two errors that people go into when they reject the Trinity. Generally, it's either Sabellianism, also known as modalism, which is popular today among some Pentecostals, or Arianism, which is a rejection of the full equality of Jesus with the Father and is similar to the cult known as Jehovah Witnesses. We talked last week about Sabellianism and how it is proven false by showing that there are three unique persons in the Trinity, not one person acting as three separate roles or three separate, uh, being called by three separate titles, that there's actually three persons, that Jesus is not the Father, that Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. And I explained how Isaiah chapter 9 does not prove their theology. And I showed them that Matthew, showed you that Matthew chapter 28 does not prove that theology, but it actually proves the Trinity, as well as uh, the passages there in John 14, 15, and 16 do not prove that Jesus is the Father, actually quite the opposite, that Jesus and the Father are separate. But most importantly, you need to be able to prove it from John chapter 1, verse 1. So let's just go against the air of Sabellianism right here in John chapter 1, and then we'll get into Arianism. And both of these were false teachings in the 3rd and 4th century that the early church dealt with. In the beginning was the Word. We know that is the uh, Greek word logos. And so we know that the Word is there at the beginning. The, the similar uh, passage that we know John is referencing there is Genesis chapter 1. The passage when it starts off in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This is what John is referring to. So as far back as we go in the beginning, we see that the word is there. The next part that we see as 
We know that there's three parts to John 1.1. 1, 1. The A section is, in the beginning was the Word. The B section is, and the Word was with God. And the C section is, and the Word was God. And so when we're just talking about uh, part A, B, or C, you can see it as that, or 1, 2, 3, the section here. It's easier to la label it with letters because you can put 1A, 1B, 1C for verse 1. Verse 1A, that part, verse 1B. So you'll see that sometimes when you're reading uh, your textbooks. We see in the beginning was the Word. Sabellianism has no problem with that. But here's where the issue comes, and the Word was with God. For Sabellianism to be true, that would mean that the Word is the same person as God, and He was with Himself. Does everybody see that that contradicts this section right here that we're reading? How can you be with yourself? That is not what it means. You're with somebody else. And we learned that in the Greek that that means pros, tan, theon. That means pros, tan, theon. Everybody say pros, tan, theon. That, that part right here, pros, tan, theon, is what we need to understand when we see the, um, when we see the original here. And let me put it as well into transliteration. There you go. And let me remove the mortho morphology. Here you have Kai Ho Lego MI and then Pras Ho Theos. Pras Ho Theos. Now I said Pras Tan Theon, and that's because it's transliterated incorrectly in the, uh, the, part, the part here because it's not translating the Tan here. The Tan should be down here. Pras Tan Theon. And you see the, the V-looking character is actually an N. So it's pros tan theon. This is not correct. Let me see if I can get it uh, to actually, what, what do I want to see here? Ro root, will I like it better like this? I need the tan there. I don't know why the tan is not there, which doesn't make any sense to me. There we go. Okay, let me get out of these. I had the wrong morphology. There we go. So, here we go. Pras tan theon. Everybody say pras tan theon. And what that simply means is pras with God. With God. That word pras means with God. That's how we know in our, okay, I picked the wrong one here. Let me get to it. That's how we know that this cannot be with yourself. You cannot be facing yourself. Look at the word as we see what pros means here. We'll get the full uh, meaning of it. So this disproves Sabellianism. They may say, Joe can be a son and a father, but can Joe as a son be with facing the Joe that's the father? I can't be facing myself. Do you get that? You cannot do that unless you're with people. Here is the definition, with or before, near, by, or at, against, among, about, according to, or toward. Can you be toward yourself? No, you can't. You cannot be toward yourself. You need to be facing toward someone. You need to be facing toward the Lord. Uh, or, or rather, uh, this is Jesus facing toward 
the Father. Now, we don't know it yet, but we can certainly say here that if the Word is facing or with or toward God, that He is not the God or the person He is facing. He is separate from that. So that disproves right there in front of us the air of Sabellianism. Now, they would say, oh, but the next part, part C says, and the Word was God. Ta-da! So whatever pros means, it means what we say it means because now this last part says the Word was God. But that is not taking into consideration what the Word God means, theos, when it's coupled together with legos. Now, this may be a bit complicated, and I'll share this with you because it's good for you to know. When there are two nouns that share the same ending in Greek and that both take on the subject in Greek by their endings, both by them ending in os. Os shows that they are the subject. You see here when it says theon in this context, it shows that the subject is still the legos. So theos turns to theon. Does everybody see that? Does everybody see theon? So in the Greek, nouns and adjectives, or, or rather nouns take endings that are different towards their position. Look at this here. This noun here in this section is in the accusative singular. In the accusative singular. When you look here to how it is in this section, it is in the nominative, the nominative singular. One is in the accusative tense. The other one is in the nominative. Everybody say nominative. I'm going to help you mumbling it because you're a little, I, I'm kind of pronouncing it wrong. Nom, nomen, help me pronounce this. Nominative, thank you, because I'm pronouncing it wrong. You guys are pronouncing it wrong, but you will help me. That my pronunciation and spelling is one of my worst things, okay? Nominative. Does everybody see that? In this part here, part B, it is accusative. Does everybody see that? It's still a noun. It's still singular, but this is changing. What does that mean? It becomes in a predicate form, which means now that the noun is competing with the subject, which is the legos, and doesn't become another subject it becomes a qualifier. It becomes a descriptor of the noun. Very similar to how adjectives describe nouns. So what happens here is that literally it's no longer talking about a person of God. It is not saying that in verse B, the person that Jesus is facing, known as the accusative in that form, God, it is not saying that the word is that God. What it is saying by changing the ending, by becoming nominative, is that it's saying about the logos that it shares the description of that noun. And what is the description, or the qualities rather, of the noun God? Divinity. Divinity. Does everybody understand that? No, some of you don't. Well, let me just put it to you in a couple different translations now 
so that you guys will understand it. This is the NET, which is a more literal Greek translation of the Bible that we have right now. It's one of our best done by Dr. Daniel Wallace. Listen to how he translates that ending. And the word was what? Fully God. Why does that matter? Because this will both crush the Jehovah Witness and the Sabellianists, the Oneness Pentecostal. For them to say that Jesus is the person of God because John 1.1 says, and the word was God, they don't understand that God in the Greek of that C section is no longer identifying a person. It is acting as a predicate nominative. It is describing the logos in quality. In quality. And I will post up on this sermon the scholarship that is done. It's not a word game, by the way. This is actually how language is done. And so John would have assumed that his readers would understand the difference in his ending and why that's important to them. He would assume that if you knew he was talking about the word being Jesus and the word is facing Jesus, and then he says that the word was theos with uh, with Jesus there, that you would know at the end he's not talking that Jesus is now the God he's with, but that Jesus is theos, that Jesus is divine like the God he's with. He's equal to the Father in that sense. Now I want you to stop and think about this. Why does the translator of the NET, which is one of our best translations, say, and the word was fully divine? What right does he have to do that? Because of the ending of the word theos. Because of the grammar of the word. So even though the NIV still keeps it as the word was God, that's okay. That's a brute translation. But that can only be true to John's intent if you believe and understand that he's not contradicting himself and saying that Jesus is with another person called God, and then he's actually that same person that's God. As long as you understand it to be, he's facing a person called God that's not himself, and then he is equal to that God in the same divinity that that person has. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that? Because the context explains it for us. When we come to John 1.14, we see that, the Word became flesh. Everybody say, the Word became flesh. Let me take it out of this for us so you can see it more clearly. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Came from the who? I need everybody participating, please. Who came from the full of grace and truth. Came from the who? The Father. So we now see that there is a Son, and we now see there is a Father. If we go back into John 1.1, who is the Son in John 1.1? What would he be known as? What word is he being called here? The Word. So in John's intention... He's saying, in the beginning was the Son. 
And the Son was with who? The Father. And the Son was what like the Father? Divine, God like the Father. How do we know that translation holds up? That interpretation because of what verse? No, because of John 1:18. Now he clarifies specifically the divinity of the Son, the divinity of the Father, but their separate roles. No one has ever seen God. He uses that generic person, uh, that name in the Greek, Theos, referring to a person. But what person is he referring to that no one has ever seen? The Father. But the one and only Son, who is himself what? God. And the Word was God. And the Word was divine. Do you get it? And is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Closest relationship, speaking to the B part of John 1.1. And the word was with God, pros with God, toward God, with facing God, the Father. Does everybody see that? He has made him known. Does everybody see it, yes or no? I'll go over it again if you do not see it. I need to know because if you're not getting it, others are not going to get it. Catherine, our new student, should be able to get it. Let's see. Don't be shy, and let's see if she can get it. In the beginning was the word, Catherine. Who is the word referring to there as the word? What does that word refer to? The son. So in the beginning is the son, and the son was with God. Who is he with as God? Who is that God that he is with? The father, father God. And it says, and the word was God. Does that mean, and the Son was the Father? Or rather, does it mean, and the Son was divine like the Father? Divine like the Father. Well done. How would you show us that? By going to 14 and 15. First, you would start in 14 where it introduces to us Son and Father. Son and Father are not introduced to us until verses 14 and onward. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Now we know it's right to think of the Word as the Son. That's our proof for interpreting that way. Number two, we're right to interpret the Father as God in part B, and the Word is facing, pros with God, because it says, who came from the Father. This disproves Sabellianism. And if you didn't get it right, it continues on 15 and 16 and 17 and talking about what he's going to do and what he's going to reveal to us. Then it introduces his name, Jesus Christ. Then 18 says it clearly. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So that is the clear translation of how we understand 1-1. I keep saying translation, but I mean interpretation. But it is fully, uh, it is totally correct and more accurate, especially to English uh, uh, hearers, to translate John 1 1 like this, and the word was fully God. Because that takes away the confusion. The Sabellianist wants to say that the Father and the Son are the same person. 
and we show them in part B, they can't be. Because it says that Jesus faces God, is toward God. But then they try to get around that by then saying, but no, he is the God he is facing. He is that very person. And we show them. We say, no, when God is used in part B, it is accusative. When it is used in part C, it is nominative. Therefore, it acts as a predicate and it shares now like an adjective qualities of its noun word toward the subject, which is the logos. That's why we can say the word was fully God or fully divine. And you'll see that here in the Amplified, which says the begin. In the beginning, before all time, was the Word, Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. Not the God he is facing, but the God of the Son, God the Son. And uh, let me get you another one here, the message. These aren't helping, rather. Let me get one that will help more. I thought there was a, there's a couple others that will, I think the New Living helps. Let me see. No, I think, see, the N-E-T is, is the most accurate towards the Greek, and it really helps a, a lot of them keep the traditional reading. And that is a traditional reading, but that is not the most exact reading. The fully divine reading of the N-E-T is the more accurate reading. Okay, so I only have the N-E-T translation, but that is the accurate and we've gone through all the other arguments. So you see that Sabellianism is crushed. The Father is not the Son. They are two separate persons. Now, what is the one that we want to address today? Arianism. And now they want to say that now God is just one person and God is the Father, but God created Jesus separately at another time and then made him like a God higher than angels, better than humanity, someone that could be worshipped, someone that could be followed, believed in, but is nonetheless not Jehovah God, not the all-knowing, all-present, everywhere at one time, self-existing great I am that Moses met at the burning bush. How do we show them that this is wrong? By showing them the translation that the word was fully divine, that the word was God. Now, what do they want to do here? What they want to do is add an A before the word God and then make the God in the lowercase g. So they want to say the same thing in the, word was, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was a God. Now, why do they do that? They do that because they say that because there is no article before the word theos in the last part there, in part C, you see how it says, ho logos in theos, there is no article, there is no thing that comes before it, where in the other sections it goes pros, tan, theon. The tan is what they call an article. This article is what they say makes it, uh, because it's missing, is what makes it now available to put an A before it. And they'll show you some examples like that. But we will then show them other examples that show Theos without the article, and it's still talking about the God of the Bible, the, the one true God. But here is the bigger problem. They don't understand the same issue 
that the Sibelius doesn't understand, that the reason why Theos doesn't have the article is because then it would be promoting Sibelianism. If it had the article, it would be saying that the Word is the Father, that the Word is God like the Father. So the article being removed takes the noun and puts it into the nominative form. So because they don't understand real Greek grammar, they then think it can become a descriptive, but it's a description of a lesser God. But that's not the context of John 1 and 14 and 18. And so we know clearly that the, that the article not being there becomes descriptive as a nominative, and it's fully divine, not a lesser divine. And so they'll say, like, Satan is a god of this world. Jesus is a lowercase g god. Now, that, of course, doesn't exist in the Greek. They didn't have capital or whatever. How they understood these things was from the grammar. And so they fail on that mark. They do that out of their own imagination to make the Bible fit into their presumptions. And they change the word of God, not only here, but in many, many other places to fit their bad theology. And if we had other time, uh, a different time, we could get into it. But where are they going to go? Let's say they concede here. Let's say they concede with us the translation of the NET, which is the most accurate translation, not only because of this verse, but because of all of the work that's gone into it. But let's say they concede this and they go, okay, we will substitute the word God with divine and say he's fully divine. And in technical terms, we would have to agree with them that it could also say divine instead of God there, that the word was fully divine. We, we could agree with that. There's nothing wrong with that. We would then now have an argument, can something be fully divine in the monotheism of the Bible other than the one true God? And that's where the argument now is going to go. They are going to say there can be two deities. And so they're actually bi-deities. Like how we are tri-deist, tri-unity deist. One God in three persons. They believe in bi, two. Now they will never say that Jesus is as exalted as the Father. But by their very definition of saying that there is divinity or that he is a God. They have conceded polytheism to gods, to gods. So excuse me when I say it's not bi-theism, because bi-theism would mean father and son are equal. That is not true. They believe in polytheism, two different separate gods, okay? Now, where are some of the scriptures that they're going to go with this? They're going to go to any scripture that shows that Jesus worships the Father or Jesus has a God. One of the things that they'll start pointing out is the things like uh, the Father knows, but the Son doesn't know. And they'll say, doesn't, the, doesn't God know everything? So how, does, how is Jesus God and, and uh, he doesn't know everything? And they'll start to point to these things. And Muslims, at, by the way, love the arguments of Jehovah Witnesses. Because all that Jehovah Witnesses set up for them to take away the stance of Jesus being God, these Muslims readily pick up and start throwing back at us the same exact argument. So if you argue with a Muslim, they will sound almost identical to the scriptures that the Jehovah Witness is saying. Now Jesus says in the Gospels, I'm going to return to your God and my God. I'll show you here. And then, you know, 
the Father knows, but uh, I don't know uh, about the end times. We'll go to a few of these. John chapter, tw- uh, John chapter 20, verse 17. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. This is during that time after the resurrection where they're seeing his appearances. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So let's say the Jehovah Witness will concede John 1, 1, John 1, 1, because some of them will, once you show them that you understand a little bit of the Greek and say the A does not belong there, this word is a descriptive of the Logos. It should be Jesus is fully divine or fully God. Most of them will say, well, let's not argue about that. We, we, they'll say, we don't know Greek. Let's not argue about that. Let's go to this scripture. Let's just go where it makes it plain. Now, you know that you go to John 1, 14 and 1, 18, and that makes it plain. And you need to hold them there. But since I've already gone through that, I'm not going to go through it again. But you show them the same exact thing. No one has ever seen God. But the Son, who is himself God, who is closer to the Father, has made him known. You show that. That's so simple. And, and I'll go into how they interpret John 1.18 in just a minute uh, after this. But here is where they're going to go. And they're going to say, well, what is the argument here now? Can God have a God? Now, this is so simple, but yet they miss it. When Jesus took on flesh, did Jesus become an atheist? No. When Jesus took on flesh to be a man and became dependent upon the Father as God, doesn't that show that he's like us as a man, dependent upon God as a good man, not an atheist man? So God, the Father being his God, is speaking to the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus prays to the Father, and then they'll say, does God pray to himself? You see, they'll start twisting all that. No, but Jesus became man so that by being a servant, he could be obedient to God. Now, what place do we have that shows it literally like that? Philippians chapter 2, where the description of the incarnation or the kenosis, kenosis is described, how God the Son humbled himself, who being in very nature God. So the Son, while he was with the Father in the beginning as the Logos, did not have a God, did not need to pray. He was in the very nature God. Are you guys getting that? But he did not consider that equality something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't keep his state of being in a divine relationship with father and son to have uh, forever without condescending become a man. He changed his state. He didn't change, listen, his nature. He added humanity to divinity, didn't stop being God, but he changed his state of relationship to the Father and condescended or came down to be a man. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself. See, that right there even proves them wrong. If this is a created being, then everything he would do would be because the Father does it to him. The Father creates him, then the Father sends him, right? The Father does all this. But it says, as being very nature God, he made himself a servant. He did what only God could do. He made the decision in himself. And now this is where, once again, the Sabellianists, you see how I bounce back and forth? 
because both of them don't understand the Trinity and they go into error. The Trinity explains this perfectly. But the Sabellianists will now say, see, God became man. God became, no, 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 no. It doesn't say in John 1, 14 and 18 that the Father became man. It says the Word became man. The Son became man. Jesus became man, right? And here we see that word nothing is the word kenosis. That is where we get the humility, the self emptying of not God, uh, the Son's nature, but the self-emptying of his privilege to be always with the Father in glory. As John 17 says, I have done these things for you. Now give me back the glory I had with you before the earth began. See, he had glory before the earth began. The Bible says quite often that God the Father doesn't share glory with idols or anything else, right? So that means if God the Son has glory, he's equal to the Father, not a lesser created being. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So if the Son is going to become nothing as a man in, com in comparison to his divinity and then become obedient, even obedient to death on the cross, and then Hebrews explains to us he does all these things as our high priest relating to us, then of course he's going to have a God and he will pray. And we show the Sabellianists the same thing that we show the Arianists, the baptism, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see them uniquely. And here we see that they are unique together. And that the Father loved the Son and sent the Son. And he's doing, the Son is taking on flesh to become our Savior. And then he's going to return back to the Father and send us the Holy Spirit who is both equal to them. And so we show this to the Arian. We say, you are misunderstanding what the texts are saying. John 1, 14 and 18 disprove you when you interpret them, uh, translate them in properly and interpret them properly. Philippians chapter 2 explains why Jesus has a God and prays to God, so forth and so on. And then you show them in John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Okay? Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And they'll try to separate from God, from Jesus. But this is not what it means. And I can show you how God, when Jesus is talking about him or Paul is talking about him, it's not saying that, that Jesus himself is not also God. It's just showing us the person of the Father, just as John did at the beginning of the book. When Jesus speaks of God, he'll call him uh, the Father. He'll call him oftentimes God. Because that is the way Jewish people looked at the Father. But that never takes away from Jesus' divinity. Because John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that the Son is himself also God. Do you get that? And don't let me forget to go back to John 1.18. But look at what he says here towards the end that they always love to forget. That part that I spoke about when it comes to glory. Look at what it says here. Father, I want those you have given me, verse 24 of John 17, to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Does everybody see that? Jesus has glory. Now, what does the Bible say? My glory I'll give to another. My glory I will not give to another, rather. I will not give to another. These are the passages found in Isaiah chapter 42 where God is comparing himself to the idols and he's teaching the Israelites 
that there's no other God besides me. There is no one else, no before me, nor will there be after me, and I will never give my glory to another. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, or as they would say, Yahweh, which is a bad translation of the Hebrew. Uh, not, Jehovah's the bad translation. They'll say Jehovah. It's a bad translation. It goes from Hebrew to German to English. It should be Yahweh if we want to be more correct. But even then, we don't know the pronunciation of the name of God because the vowels were not written in ancient Hebrew, and they didn't pronounce it out of respect. But our best guess is Yahweh. I am the Yahweh. I am Yahweh. That is my name. And that's one they would love to point to. I see, look, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. We use the proper name of God. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Oh, but hold on. It says here, Father, I want those you've given me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me. See, you're not translating it right. Uh, I keep saying translating. You are not interpreting this right, Jehovah Witness. Because if the Son is not equal to the Father as Yahweh, there's not three Yahwehs, one Yahweh in three persons. Do you understand that? One name, Yahweh of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. We are not polytheists, and we do not teach that the Father created a lesser God and gives him his glory. How many can say amen to that? Look what else he says. He says, there was no God before me, nor will there be a God after me. That means he'll never create another God. No God before me, nor after me. No God before me or after me. Isaiah chapter 43, these are those sections that I was talking about in the passage, excuse me, of Isaiah, where God is correcting the false beliefs of these false gods. Verse 10, you are my witnesses. That is the very term that the Jehovah Witnesses get. This is the passage they go to. You are my witnesses, declares Jehovah, as it would say in their Bible, and my servant whom I've chosen. That's why they call themselves the discrete slaves, the, the, the discreet, I don't know where they get that from, but the slaves of God here, whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me but, and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Now watch this. I, even, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. Hello, somebody. Isn't Jesus our Lord and Savior? Now what they will try to say back to this is that means everybody else except who Jesus says can, uh, who the Father says could be a Savior. So what he's really saying here is he's saying pagan gods are bad, but the God I create is good. The Jesus divinity I give is good. And they'll say this is just him tell, talking to pagans. But no, 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 it's very clear here. There is no one else divine, no one else truly considered a God that has glory and is considered a savior other than Yahweh himself. So now we have two different saviors. One Yahweh, one Jesus. One great God, one mighty God. And they'll go to that passage of Isaiah 9, 6 and say, see, he's called El Gabor. El meaning God, Gabor meaning mighty. Our God, Jehovah, is called Almighty God. And then we'll show them in Isaiah that also Yahweh is called El Gabor, mighty God. 
And then we show them in the passages where it says Jesus said, my God. But we teach them that Jesus was not an atheist. Jesus condescended, humbled himself, became a man, and served God the Father faithfully, though he didn't have to. He could have kept it to his own advantage, his position. He never changed his nature from being God when he became man. He just adopted flesh and became nothing in his role. And I love to show them like this. One of the best places to show the plurality of God's nature is in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates man in his own image. Does he create only Adam in his image or does he create Adam and Eve plural, plural persons in his image? Plural. Watch what it says. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, plural, them. Male and female, he created them. Image of God is plural. That's why the image of mankind, plural. If God is singular, then why is it plural in humanity? It would not represent the image. Now the Sibelius and the Arianist both make the same error. The Sibelianist says God's one person, singular, and he has the title of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's still one person. When God makes Humanity in his image, he makes plural, two persons. Wouldn't work. The Arianist says, Arianist, one who believes in Arianism, the Jehovah Witness mindset, says the Father is only God. So the Father only made us in his image, but he makes us plural, male and female. Jesus is a lesser God. Jesus is not the one here. This would not be plural image. So they have a problem. The Trinitarian does not have the problem. We have plural persons in one being. That's why there are plural persons in one humanity. Do you see it? One of the greatest evidences right here. So then I say to them, when I talk about the incarnation or the roles of the Father and the Son, I say, my wife and I, according to the Bible, do we have different natures? Is there two different kinds of humanity? One male humanity, one female humanity in nature? No, same humanity but do we have different roles? They keep saying, how could Jesus pray to the Father? How could Jesus do this? Because they are two separate persons, but they share divinity as my wife and I share humanity. We are not greater and lesser in our humanity. We are just greater or lesser in our role. Then I say, my child, the moment my child is born, are they a different kind of human than I am? As a third person now in my family, are they a different kind? No, they just have a different role. We all share the humanity of God. My man, wife, offspring, do you see that? And so that stops them in their tracks because then you have showed them properly how to interpret the Scripture. But if you stick just on 1-1 one, one and say, John 1, chapter 1, verses 1, 14, and 18, you say, listen, this is where we're going to stay. I don't want to bounce around the Bible with you. I don't want to see other passages. Interpret this correct. Let us both live or die by John chapter 1. Let's live or die by it. Say it to the Sibelianists. Say it to the Arianists. Let's go. I've showed you in John chapter 1 there is no way around it except to go that Jesus was divine. And then right there, the Arianist has to admit polytheism. There's two divines. The Sabellianist has to admit there's two divines. We know the Trinity. We add the Holy Spirit in at another part. But once we have showed two divines, we have discounted them. Two people who share the divine nature, rather. When we go down to verse 18, 
With the Jehovah Witness, they are going to try to rebut our translation. What the Jehovah's Witness is going to do in verse 18 is take the King James, a lesser scholarly trans, uh, transmission of text, and they are going, let me get this out of here, and they are going to try to say that we have misinterpreted it, and the King James interpreted it right. So let me show you here quickly. Look at the King James in this portion of Scripture. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. What part are we missing in the, ancient, in the um, older King James from the NIV? That what? He himself is God. We are missing the part where it says that no one's ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God. What have they changed it to? He is himself God. And that in the King James Version, it says the, um, in the King James Version, it says only begotten son. Do you see it right here? Only begotten son. What is the difference here? Literally, one marking. The word, Greek word for son and the Greek word for God are different in one marking. Only begotten son or only begotten God, literally in the Greek. Let us see it in the NET and you'll see why. Oh, his himself God. Let's see, uh, trying to get uh, his himself God. Let me get to one of these. I got to end here for you guys. Here we go. The only unique son or the only begotten God in the Amplified. Amplified takes both versions of this. What is the problem here? This is where what we come to is a scribal difference of one marking between the word son and the word God. And you'll see... Um, if I can get to, I would have to open up this commentary to show you we don't have time. We don't have time. we got to get you logged into class. Let me just say this to you in closing. Please turn that down just a little bit or mute it. The King James is not as well supported in ancient manuscripts as the NIV. The NIV shows us what it should have been all along because of the more ancient, reliable. So when we start to argue over this, we're standing in the right by saying only begotten God instead of only begotten Son. I'll send you another article on this underneath this as well. So you can see the one on John 1.1 and John 1.18. Amen? He is the eternal Logos. Both of them deny. Listen, the Sabellianist denies that the Logos or the Son, this needs to be thrown away when we have a chance there. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Both of them deny that the Son is eternal. Both of them deny that. How does the Sabellianist deny that the Son of God is eternal? The Logos is eternal. How do they deny it? Use your mind. And then how does the Arianist deny that the Son is eternal? 
the eternal. How do they both deny that the Logos is eternal? How? Give me one. How does the Arianist or the Sabellianist? Give, me, give, give it to me quickly, please. Let's go Arianist with Ashley. But how is he not eternal? Because he's created, right? If Jesus was created, the Logos is created by the Arianist point of view, then he can't be eternal. Only one person could be eternal. That's the Father. So they deny the eternality of the Son. That is what damns their soul. How does the Sabellianist deny the eternality of the Son? Different hats. So that means he's never always the Son. He's always switching back and forth to different things. But the Bible is so clear that the Logos is eternally the Logos. Do you get it? From the beginning, all creation, before time even began. That means before time began, he was this and has always been that. As far as we know from the Bible, when a beginning starts, the creation of our world starts, God was in a steady state before that. So to say that something has changed in the nature of Jesus regarding either Sabellianism or Arianism is a heresy. The Son has always been divine and has always existed. The only thing that changed with the Son is this. He never became less divine. He never took on a hat to become from the Father to the Son. This is what he did. Philippians 2 says he took on flesh. Let's end this on a good note. Why did he do that? To be our Savior. Think of the great magnitude of God's love, that he would come in the flesh for us, that the Father would send the Son, and that the Son would be willing to humble himself, to be obedient to the Father, and die for us. You have someone that loves you that much today. That's why you can call upon his name, because now he sits next to the Father as a man and as God. He relates to everything you're going through as man. He knows what it's like to pray to the Father and wait for answers. He knows what it's like to want to do something in the flesh, but the Spirit wanting to do something else. He is our perfect example, and He intercedes for us as our high priest. The eternal Son of God loves you, cares for you, and wants you to know Him intimately. He reveals the Father so you can know Him, so you can be close to Him. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll close out our live feed. Lord, thank you for today's chapel and for teaching us about the eternal Logos, how great the love of the Father is and how great the sacrifice of the Son was and how great the uh, blessing of the Holy Spirit is in our life today. And we thank you, Lord, that we acknowledge God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, not three gods, but one God and three divine persons, each co-eternal and equal in their divinity. We pray that we will worship and serve you, God, Yahweh, this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.